Yeah, I'll be honest, we voted. That's the weirdest song we've ever done at Flatirons, right there. Because some of you are saying, what does that mean? There's a barber? I don't know what a panpipe is, and God hates goats. What? What is going on? And um, actually, it'll make sense in just a, a few minutes. It actually ties into what I want to talk about. Hey, before I get into this, let me just say this, is that about 100 miles west of here up in Fraser, um, we have almost 500 men up there on a men's retreat, really leaning into what God is calling us to do as men, husbands, fathers. And, and a lot of us, you know, we've made mistakes a lot of the way, and, and we, we put up the white flag, and now we're trying to lean into what God's doing in our lives. And God is doing something in the lives of men around here, and there's about four 500 more who are here this week and here and up at West that are going to go next week. And so just uh, as, as they're coming down the mountain, they're coming down with changed hearts and changed lives. And they're going to reenter their family and their marriages and their girlfriends and their, all this kind of stuff. And, and, it, and it, it could get weird, you know. So just be praying for those families as those men come down here going, hey, God taught me something and it's different than we've been living. And that's hard, okay. So, so pray for those men that are coming down and then, then pray for the men that are going to get ready to go up there uh, next week. I was there Friday night and, all these, and most of Saturday. It's, it's just really, really incredible. So thank you, men. For what, for what you're doing, all right? Let me jump into this. Today, we're, really, we're going we're gonna to launch a really kick, kick off what we kind of hinted at last week, this new series where we're going to be looking at a subject that's deeply rooted in the teachings of Jesus. And then a lot of other writers in the Bible, they, 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 they talk about, they write this as, as a source of encouragement to some people who are going through really, really, really hard times. That might be some of us. People, are, they're, they're going through circumstances in their life that they're about ready to give up. I can't do this anymore. I, I don't know if I can believe in God anymore. I don't believe I can stick to this marriage. My, my body's falling apart. I'm about to give up. I'm in a, I'm in a situation of circumstance that feels hopeless. And all these things that we're going to be looking at from Jesus and, and these other writers, it's a message of hope and encouragement. And it simply goes like this. The same Jesus who, who died on a cross to take away our sins and then rose from the dead just to prove that he is who he says he is and will do everything he said to, for us, all right, because he, he proved that, he also is, is going to keep a big promise to us in the future. And that promise that we're going to be looking at goes like this. Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back, all right? And so the message is don't give up. Be encouraged, all right? Don't give up yet. Jesus has not forgotten about us. Sometimes it feels like it. In the circumstances and kind of the, the muck of our life, you're going, are you even paying attention up there? Yeah, he's paying attention. Jesus knows what's going on in your life and in your situation. And here's the message. It's not always going to be like this. It's not always going to be like this. Jesus promised a day is coming. Now, you're, just be honest with you, your life might get a lot harder before it gets better, but Jesus says, I promise, I will give you the grace and mercy in your time of need to get you through whatever you need to go through right now, today, I promise, and I'll come back for you. I will, all right? This is not the end. Jesus will come back and he'll make things right. And here's what we looked at last week in the introduction of this. You know, Jesus is coming again, but this time he's not coming like the first time. He's not coming as a kind of a poor little baby in a manger. That's over, all right? He's not coming as a humble carpenter, not as a wise teacher or rabbi. He's coming as a king. And we're going to look at this in the next two weeks as a warrior king coming to claim what is his and to punish those who reject him. Or as the Bible describes his second coming, he's coming in wrath. He's coming in wrath. Jesus is coming again. And the message of encouragement out of that goes like this. So don't give up. Not yet. And be ready. Don't fall asleep at the wheel of your life. Don't stop believing. Why? Because, well, this is how Jesus says. Because the one who endures to the end, you'll be saved. You'll be fine. Endure, the one who endures to the end will be saved. And Paul is writing two little letters. That's what we're studying. If you have a Bible, First and Second Thessalonians, there's free ones in the back. It'll be here on the screens as well. But Paul writes these two little letters to these people going, I can't do this anymore. I, I can't hang on anymore. And, he's, and this is how he opened the letter last week. It goes like this. Every time I talk to God about you, I remember your endurance that comes from hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
You have endurance. You're hanging in there because of your hope in Jesus Christ. You're not hanging in there because you have hope in your marriage. You're not hanging in there because you have hope in your parents. You're not hanging in there because you have hope in your health getting better. I mean, I hope that happens, but that's not what you're leaning your life against. You can hang on because you have this hope that's found in our Lord Jesus Christ, meaning this. The reason that you can and I can and we will endure is the result of having Christ in us. In other words, one of the results, one of the fruits, one of the the byproducts, one of the evidence that a person really is in Jesus and Jesus is in in them is we don't give up. We don't. He gives us what we need. So while everybody else would give up, we won't because Jesus is in us, giving us what we need to keep going. If Jesus is in you, you can and you will endure. It's a both and situation. When Jesus is in you, it's like like this. Because you're saved, you'll endure. How can you say that? Because he's in you. So I can't do this on my own. Me either but I don't have to do it on my own. Jesus is in me because I'm saved. I'm going to endure. And the flip side goes like this. And if you endure, you'll be saved. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about it. Now, before we get into this anymore, I want to kind of take a time out because I know in a room like this, we have a spectrum of, of belief on this set subject, all right? Some of you are rolling your eyes going, this is just stupid. We'll get to you, all right? So, all right? And, and some, some of us think, you know, Jesus could come back any minute. Like every time I hear a car horn, I'm like, ah, oh, you know, right? That kind. And, and some of us, you know, it, it, it might happen, but probably a thousand years from now. But here's what we, we all have to kind of look at when we, when we read God's word. Every reference to Jesus coming back And what Jesus does when he comes back is always connected to what he finds his people doing. People who say, I believe, I'm leaning my life against what Jesus did on the cross. I think he is who he says he is and he'll keep all his promises, all right? People who profess to have faith. The, The question that the second coming always addresses is this, what does Jesus find his people doing? When he comes back, we're not saved by what we do. We cover that all the time in here, right? But if we really are saved, get this, we do differently. Right? We just do life differently. We, when we live our lives, we do what Jesus told us to do. And Jesus talks much more, exponentially more, about what he finds his people doing when he comes back, much more than what he finds people that don't believe in him. I mean, he mentions that. You know, there's, there's, there's some words towards that. Most of his words are about us, the people that say, I believe in him. Well, what does he find us doing when he comes back? And this is why I think, and you don't have to agree with me on this, but I'm right. But here, here's what, <laughs> here's who, <laughs> sorry. It's going to be a short sermon because I got tickets. All right, so here we go, all right? Get my priorities in order. All right, so, so here's why I think so many people, and I expect, really I'm, I'm talking to Christians here, right? Why so many of us ignore or dismiss the second, of com- second coming of Jesus so quickly. It's like, yeah, yeah but I don't want to talk about that. It's not, not, not because it sounds impossible or something out of a science fiction movie, although sometimes you go, that, that sounds like science fiction. And it's not because we don't think it can happen. If you backed a Christian into a, into a corner, eventually they'd probably go, yeah, he said it. He's probably coming back. I just don't want to talk about it. See, I think the reason why Jesus and Paul spend so many of their words, you know, throughout, throughout scriptures, because they, talking about this is because they know how people are. Here's what I believe. I believe that the, that the reason that, 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 that people dismiss the teachings of the second coming of Jesus so quickly is this. It's because when it happens, if it's going to happen, deep down, we know that our claim that I am saved by grace through faith, right, and, my, and his grace is greater than my, my sin, we know deep down inside, we've been trying to use that grace as permission to keep on sinning and living outside of what God's truth is for our life, and we're crossing our fingers and hoping that grace will save us anyway, even though we're blowing off God. And we know that if Jesus were to show up, he's going to blow that out of the water. So we don't really want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about Jesus coming back because it, I, don't, I don't even want to think about what could happen. See, deep down, we know that God, if he really is God, and if you don't believe in God, just theoretically go with me on this, all right? We know that if there's a God, he cannot wink at our sin and our ongoing choices to keep on disobeying what he says to do. We know that God is not going to show up one day and go, 
Ah, don't worry about it. I was just kidding. Right, right? I told you a better way to live, but you know what? What do I know? I'm creator of the universe. You probably know better about running your life. So, you know, boys will be boys. Kids will be kids. All y'all oxen free, come to my house. All right? You know? Well, it's, it, we know that's not it. We wouldn't follow a God like that. We wouldn't follow a God who, who doesn't keep his word or follow through on his promises. We just, we just wouldn't. In other words, if you were trying to hang on to a grace that you mistakenly think gives you permission to just keep on blowing off God and, and keep on sinning, when Jesus returns, that grace that you have held on to, here's what you're going to find out in that moment, that wasn't really grace at all. You're trying to hold on to a get out of hell free card that doesn't exist. At least that's what you're hoping for. And the only thing to hang on to is Jesus, Jesus and his righteousness on your behalf. And when you do that, guess what? He makes you righteous and he transforms you and changes you. And that will without fail show up in your actions, your changed life. Your changed life doesn't save you. It testifies that you are. My changed life is, is the testimony that I am saved and he lives inside of me. See, a day is coming. And a lot of us don't want to think about this. But a day is coming and Jesus is going to see right through us. And we will be revealed for what we really are. We really are saved believers, leaning our lives against Jesus and, and following him with, his, with the power he gives us or a complete hypocrite holding on to something else. And that's just true. And according to Jesus, and if this makes you mad, email him. I got enough from last week. But according to Jesus, all right, and you know what I'm talking about, that, let's move on. All right, so the hypocritical Christian, according to Jesus, isn't a Christian at all. And that's a rude awakening. I don't care how many times you've gone to church, how many songs you sing, how many Bible verses you've memorized or preached to other people. It doesn't go well for the person who claims to follow Jesus but doesn't actually follow him. It's not a good, it's not a good, good picture. As a matter of, Jesus describes it like this, and it's not pretty. We're going to look at the, this more in, in a minute. This is Jesus talking. He says, the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour he does not know. And look, look at this. And will cut him to pieces and put him with the hypocrites. And in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, I'm going to be really honest with you, okay? Today may be the hardest, toughest, I don't know if I want to hear this kind of message you've ever heard from me at Flatirons. Somebody's coming and going, I just need, just talk about happy stuff, heaven, ponies, unicorns, stuff like that, you know, and, and make me feel better about my life. This is a tough one. This is a tough one, all right? But the, the most offensive thing about the idea of the second coming isn't that it's hard, just hard to believe. And some of us are trying not to believe it or pretend that it's not true, but here's what's the toughest part of this. A day is coming. A day is coming. We don't want to think about it. Here's how Paul says it. He says, don't be deceived. Don't lie to yourself. God is not mocked. You're not going to pull one over on him. For whatever one sows, that will he also what? Day is coming when you reap what you sow. And we're like, I hope it doesn't happen now. So let's don't talk about it. Or how about this? Jesus says it this way. And I, I wish he hadn't said this because this kind of makes me a little bit nervous, all right? Jesus said this. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, he's my Lord. I believe. I'm a Christian, all right? But not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, right? But the one who what? Does. Not just prays. Not just believes all the right stuff and memorizes. No. The one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven, right? But Jesus also says this. But the one who endures hangs on to the end, will be saved. So the one who really is saved, you will endure because Jesus is in you and will give you the ability to endure. And the one who endures will do the will of the Father in heaven right up to the end of days. And when Jesus returns and finds his people doing the will of the Father, we'll be saved because we're doing what saved people do, what Jesus told us to do until he got back. What is that? Fix your eyes on Jesus and follow him. Fix your eyes on Jesus we're going to make mistakes. Grace got you covered. Fix your eyes on Jesus and follow him and do what he tells you to do. So well, what about the people, you know, the Christians or pseudo-Christians or whatever who claim, they claim to be Christians. But they've given up. They've quit. They, they, they've turned away from their faith. They're not even close to even trying to do the will of their father. What about them? That's what I want to talk about today. 
We're going to get really into the second coming next, next, next week. But I, I, want to, I want to look at a story that Jesus tells in response to a question that his disciples, those 12 guys that, that walked away around with him all, for three years, they ask him this question. Look at this, Matthew chapter 24. I, I, this is great. It says this, okay? As he sat on the Mount of Olives, that was a mountain, had olive trees on it. Very creative name, I think. Anyway, all right, so. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, tell us. When will all these things be? And what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? In other words, see, Jesus, we've been following you around for like two, two and a half years now. And you keep talking about this day that you're coming back and stuff like that. And, and you're kind of freaking us out. So, so they went privately like, you ask him. He's over there in the garden. Go. You go over there, right? So one of them goes up and goes, so what are you talking about? When, when are you going to do this? And that's the question a lot of us would like to know. Can you, are you going to tell us that? No. All right. So, all right. When, when is this going to happen? What will it be like? And what should we be looking for as, as it gets closer? And for the next two chapters, Matthew 24 and chapter 25, read these later on your, on your own. He gives description after description and story after story and metaphor after metaphor to help the disciples and us get our minds around. It's going to be kind of like this. I can compare it to this, and, and it's a, and like a metaphor, is, it, it's, it's kind of like this, all right? And I don't think he just says, it's this, because I think they would just go, ah, and run, because it's just overwhelming sometimes. But one of the most famous stories he tells goes like this, when the, when, when the disciples ask, what's it going to be like? And that's the that story I want, I want you to look at. And here's the thing is, some of you, some of you have been quoting verses out of this story. You didn't even know it came out of the Bible. You didn't know Jesus said this. But you're going to go, I've actually said that before, right? So let's look at this. And this is where that weird cake song just came from. All right, so Matthew 25, 31. Sheep and goats. Here you go. It says this. When, this is Jesus talking. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, and we're going to look at that. So cool next week, all right? Then Jesus will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And, and some of you are sitting there going, what are you talking about? What, are you, that, that, what do you mean, shepherd and goats? What, what, is that, what does that mean? You, know, you don't understand that because you live in Colorado. All right, right? You, you don't understand. Any shepherds here? Ta-da. All right, so, all right, so see, the disciples, they look at that and went, oh, that makes sense. So let me explain why the, the disciples didn't even flinch at this, but we're sitting there going, do the math for me, Jim. What is he talking about here? Okay, so back in Jesus' day, the, he lived in Israel, and there were shepherds and sheep everywhere, everywhere. Why? Because they were part of a religious system that believed if you make a mistake, you got to kill a sheep. You need a lot of sheep, okay? So, so there's sheep everywhere and shepherds everywhere taking care of the sheep. But not all shepherds had a lot of sheep. So like this guy had like 10, 10 sheep and this guy had like eight sheep and this guy had like, like three sheep, something like that. So for safety, they would take all their sheep and goats and put them in one big herd, all right, for safety, all right, because there are bandits going to come in. But now we got three shepherds guarding the 30 sheep or something like that. What, whatever that is. So, so then they would say, there's water over there. So all of them would go over there together and they'd get a drink of water. There's really good grass over there. And they'd all go over there and they'd graze their sheep over there. But at the end of the day, they needed to know, are all the sheep here? Or, or do I, or almost, or throughout the day, did I lose a goat or something like that? So they would build a really narrow gate, like a chute, and then they would they kind of force all those sheep and goats to go through that chute, and then the, the shepherd would be over here going, that one's mine, I got him, I got her, that's not my goat, go away, all right? So, so they would go there and they would separate they would separate the sheep from the goats because the sheep could recognize the voice of their shepherd, and the shepherd goes, that's mine, that's mine, and they would separate it. And Jesus says, it's kind of like that. It's not exactly like that, but it's kind of like that. That's what I'm going to do when I come back. Keep reading, verse 33. 
And he, Jesus, he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. I was going to do a metaphor and just sing along with that and go, okay, you're sheep and you're goats, but then that would hurt your feelings because you're going to hell. All right, so, all right, so, <laughs> so, <laughs> here, let's move this along. And he, all right, he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on, on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. All this is, I'm ready for you to come and live with me. And here's why, verse 35. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. In other words, come. Come, come, you're mine. Come and live with my father. We've got so much prepared for you. Come on, all right? Because I've been watching you, and you have been doing the things that I told you to do. And the evidence that you're mine, the reason I know that you're mine is that you've been obeying me. You've been following me all over the pasture. You've been following me. You've endured, even through hard times. You've been faithful, even when you wanted to quit. You endured to the end, and you're mine. Verse 37. I love this. Then the righteous, so in this story, the sheep talk, all right? So, all right. So, then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, When? When do we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when do we see a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when do we see you sick or in prison and visit you? I love this. The, the sheep, the righteous, those who belong to Jesus going, what are you talking about? I don't remember feeding you. I would remember. There's Jesus getting my hamburger. Right, right. I, would, I would remember. That's a big deal, right? I mean, if you, I didn't, you went to jail? I, I didn't know that. I, I would have visited you. You know, I, I don't know what you're talking about, Jesus. All I know is that there was a hurting person over there, and I just took care of him. There was a person that didn't have any food, and I had some extra food, so I gave him some of my food. And then I heard about this lady in the hospital, and nobody was visiting her, so, you know, I'll go. And there's this guy in, in prison, and everybody giving up on him, but I, I, I know you hadn't given up on him, so I just did what you taught me to do. I, I just try to help people that you care. That's what you taught me to do. That's what I was trying to do. Yeah. Verse 40, look at this. And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to who? Me. You visited that, that guy in prison? In my mind, that was me. You, you, that person that couldn't eat, didn't have any food, and you fed that little kid? The money you put in a bucket so that some kids in Afghanistan wouldn't sleep outside? You know what? Me. Me, you did it to me. In other words, you're mine because you, I, I saved you. I live inside of you. And because I saved you, you did the things I told you to do. And the evidence that you're mine is that you endured. You hung in there. I gave you the strength and you didn't quit. You were faithful to the end. Come live with me. Now verse 41, he turns to the, to, to the, the goats. Doesn't go well. Here we go. Ready? He says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And we're going to talk about that. Hell was not prepared for us. It has another purpose. And we're going to get to that. Verse 42. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger. You didn't welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Same response. Then they also answer saying, Lord, when? When did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not minister to you? Because if we'd known it was you, we'd been there. You know, if, we, if someone had said, Jesus over there, we, we'd ran over there. What is it that you need? Then he will answer them saying, truly, I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. You ignored them, you ignored me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. See, the offensiveness of the second coming of Jesus is simply this. And this is really hard for us, most of us in this room. You know why? Because we live in America. I love America. I'm not slamming that. But it's, 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 it's not realistic sometimes. And here's what I mean. In, in America, if you have a good lawyer, you can get out of almost anything. Right? Right? And if you have enough money, 
in America, you can buy your way out of almost anything, right? And if you're arrogant enough and smooth enough, you can talk your way out of almost anything, right? See, we, we, we live in a culture where, where, where everybody's a winner. Everybody's a winner. That's not true. Some of us are, but not everybody is, 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 is a winner, right? And our number one value, and this is, I'm just watching this. Our number one value seems to be this. Don't hurt anybody's feelings, even if they're wrong. And our number two value is this. Don't tell anybody they're wrong, even if, 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 if they are, right? But here's what scares so many of us when we talk about the second coming of Jesus. Here it is, ready? We know we aren't going to be able to pull one over on Jesus. He's going to see right through us. And that scares us, so let's don't talk about it. See, we know that he will know the truth about us, and we know that Jesus will be able to tell who his real, actual disciples are and those who simply tried to kind of manipulate him and get out of hell free but continue to live in disobedience to him. And we know, and this is why we don't even want to talk about this subject, is if I go face-to-face with Jesus, he's going to really see me. And I don't want him to come back because of that. See, I, I was at a Bronco game last week, all right? And so, so I, I was sitting right there on the aisle, you know, and it was, it was, it was before the game started, so everybody was kind of coming in. And this big guy walks down the aisle right behind me, and he had a big T-shirt on, and he had a, a, had a, a, a saying kind of uh, on the back of his T-shirt. And when I say it, you're going to say, oh, I, I've heard that. But on the back of his T-shirt, it said this, only God can judge me. Only God can judge me. And I've seen that before. I've seen people with tattoos on it, bumper stickers, stuff like that. Only God can judge me. And I looked at that, and I thought to myself, that's true. That's true. So if you have that tattoo, don't be like, oh, no, oh, no. What's against? All right, it's fine. All right, all right. But, but the, the way I think that so many of us interpret that only God can judge me is this. Only God can judge me, so I'm going to do what I want. I, I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to continue to do things that I know are wrong, sinful, hurtful, selfishly, selfish, and blatantly outside of what God says is right and true in his word. And you don't have a right to tell me I'm wrong. Nobody can judge me. Only God can judge me. And some of us live our lives that way. And here, here's the, the thing. If you want to live your life that way, go for it. Go for it, all right? But, but file this away. According to his word, he will. Oh, shoot, I didn't play that through all the way, all right? right, right. He, he will judge everyone, not according to what Pastor Jim says, no, not according to your emotions or what you think is right for you. No, he will judge everyone according to what he has declared, this is true and that's not. And this is right and that's wrong, according to my word. And unless we are covered by the grace of Jesus, that judgment will lead to condemnation. But if you are covered by the grace of Jesus, you, we will be saved. But if we really are covered by the grace of Jesus, the presence of Jesus in your life will be evidenced by your life becoming more and more and more in line with the truth of what Jesus said, this is true, and this is how I want you to live your life, and you will be faithful to him to the end. I love it. One of my favorite teachers on this whole subject, his name is Dr. David Reagan. He says it this way. He says, the second coming of Jesus will either be your blessed hope or your holy terror. It'll be the best moment in your whole life, or it'll be, it, it, it'll be the biggest, oh, no, moment ever, right? <laughs> but for the one who endures to the end, it's like, come on. This is, this is wonderful. So how, how then should we live? Paul says, I'm looking for the glorious appearance of my blessed hope, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. If Jesus is coming back, how then should we live? And here's one of the most common, most quoted comparisons about how we as his people should live looking for his, his, his coming. We're going to look at a, a metaphor Jesus used, and then, and then Paul picks it up, and then Peter, he picks it up too. But, but look at this. This is back in Matthew 24, Jesus talking. He says this. He says, but concerning that day and hour that, that I'm coming back, no one knows. And if I, were to, if, if I were to write anything in the Bible in parentheses right there, it would be this. So stop trying to figure it out. I, 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 I touched on this last week. I'm so tired of weird Christians, you know, every few years popping their heads up going, I got it. 
I got it. I took, you know, the months of the year and some numbers in Daniel and last night's score, and I multiplied them all out, and it's Thursday. Run. You know, so, I mean, it just, I'm just, ah, stop doing that. You don't know. Stop trying to freak everybody out. Like, I figured it out. Here's why I know you don't know. But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven. So if you go, an angel told me. Well, they don't know. They, they watched last night's game too. I, they don't know either, all right? So look at this. This one just blows my mind. Nor the who. That blows my mind. Jesus, when are you coming back? As soon as he tells me. Right, right, right. But the Father knows. Only. Only God knows. Look at this, verse 37. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. And we've all grew up with that, that story, you know, the flood and all that kind of stuff, all right? So, so 120 years, Noah preached, hey, a flood's coming, a flood's coming. Just turn back towards it. Just come back towards God. And people mocked him and everything else. And then it started raining. And they're like, well, maybe we're wrong. Okay, so, right? So, for as it was in the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Just living life. Until the day that Noah entered the ark and closed the door. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. And then, then he, he paints this. This, is, this is, freaks me out a little bit. Look at verse 40. Then, this is what's going to happen then. Then two men will be in a field and one will be taken and one left. That's weird. Where's Fred? I don't know. <laughs> all right, right, right. right. Two women will be grinding at the mill, so they're, they're grinding up wheat to make flour. One will be taken and, 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 and one left, right? It's just, just it's weird, all right? Verse 42, therefore, if all that's true, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake. That's just true. If somehow you found out somebody's going to try to break into your house at 2, you're awake at 2, you're awake at one. You just want to make sure you got the whole thing covered, right? If you would have known, you would have stayed awake and would not have let him bro his house be broken into. Now, if that's true, verse 44, therefore, you also must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Verse 45, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time? God has put you in charge of some things. Who's faithful? Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Jesus comes back, he wants to find us doing what he told us to do with what he's entrusted to us, right? So, so Jesus makes a couple things really clear about his second coming. The first one goes like this. No one knows when it'll happen. No one except God. So if somebody, you turn on the TV, and it's one of those weird religious shows, something like that, and the guy goes, or that lady goes, I figured it out. Turn the channel. They're, they're crazy. They don't know what they're talking about, okay? Number two, when it happens, it will be too late to make any changes or try to do the things that you meant to do thinking you had more time. In all those situations, there's no picture painted at all that you go, there's Jesus. Hold on. I got to do something first. No. I got to tell somebody, there's one thing I needed to work in before you came back. Can you just hang there? No. Verse, ver the third thing is this. We must be ready for it to happen now and do what we know Jesus has told us to do now. That's what Jesus taught us. Paul says the same things to encourage these Thessalonians who are getting ready to quit. Chapter 5, it says this. Now concerning, Paul's writing to those people, right? Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers, you have no need to have anything written to you. You don't need to worry about that. That's not how we're going to live. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord, when he comes back, will come, here it is again, like a thief in the night. 
This is what it's going to be like. Well, people are saying there's peace, there's security, there's treaties, there's, they're not going to invade. Everything, everything, oh, it's, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Then sudden destruction will come upon them. Look at this, ladies. You get worked into this story. So it'll come upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and you won't escape. Some of you go, well, that's a great description, right? Right? I mean, I mean, thinking about this, all right, there, 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 there's a day, maybe first, second, whatever pregnancy you're on, all right? But here's the thing is, is that you went to the doctor, and the doctor said it's going to happen about here. But they couldn't say on this hour, on this day, on this, blah, blah, blah. They said it's going to be about there. And so you've got a ballpark, what to be looking for. As you get closer to it, this is going to happen, and this is going to go crazy, and your body's going to betray you, all that kind of stuff, right? And so you're going to go through all of that. And then a day is going to come, and you know what? You're going to know. Here we go. Wake up. Get in the car, right? Here we go. And you can't look at that and go, I'm not sure I want to do this. And here we go, all right? So that's just, yeah, there's, there, there's, there's no escape. It's just, you know about when it's going to happen, and then it's going to happen, and there's no escape from it. Verse 4, but you, right, Christians, right? But you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then, if that's true, so then let us not sleep. Don't fall asleep at the wheel of your life, all right, as others do. But let us keep awake and be sober. For, I love this, for God has not destined us for wrath. We were not created for wrath. God didn't do everything he, had, he, he did with Jesus hoping that we wouldn't make it. We were not created or destined for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us so that whether, and I'll give you the context for this, so whether we are awake, some of us are going to be awake and we're going to see Jesus come back, or some of us are going to be asleep, we're going to be dead and in the grave, all right, that we might live with him. We're all going to live with him if we put our faith in him. Therefore, verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. We weren't created for hell. We weren't created for wrath. We were created. God has done all that he has done in Jesus so that we can be saved God wants us to be saved. God doesn't want anybody to be lost. Look at this. Peter uses Jesus' same metaphor, because Jesus taught it to him too, to address scoffers and doubters. And some of us are in this room right now, rolling our eyes, saying it's never going to happen. Here's what Peter writes. They will say, where is the promise? Where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, for thousands of years, people have been ranting about this. All things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. This is, this is just crazy. Here's what Peter says, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. God does not keep time like you and I do. Here's what I mean, verse 9. The Lord's not slow to fulfill his promise, as some of us count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. Here he goes, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the, we're going to look at this next week, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are on it, including you and me, we will be what? There you are. There you are. There's your life. So here's the thing, all right, so up, up to this point, it feels like the attitude of a Christian should always be this, come on, Jesus, come back soon, please come back, please come back and make things right, please come and take me, whatever that is, please come soon. And that's not bad to hope that, it's not bad to pray that, I mean, you see it all through the Bible, but if you go back up to verse 9, I love this verse, all right, here's the one reason why we should hope Jesus doesn't come today. He, I don't want Jesus to come back today, I'll just be honest with you, and, and here's why, look at this, verse 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance, turning back towards Jesus. That's why I don't want him to come back yet. And let me explain. There are two takeaways that I want us to walk away with today, and then we'll get to two applications. The first one goes like this. The second coming of Jesus is imminent. 
imminent. Jesus told us over and over, we should live our lives as if it could happen at any moment. So be watchful. Don't grow weary. Don't fall asleep. Don't kind of get numb to it all. Don't be surprised by it. Live your life expecting it. But the second takeaway is this. The second coming of Jesus should cause a sense of urgency. Urgency. Meaning this, the things that need to be done and need to be done now. The things that need to be said need to be said now because there is nothing in the Bible that says we have a guarantee of one more breath. There's nothing in the Bible that says you get one more day or you get one more year to get the most important things that need to be done, done. And the only reason I don't want Jesus to come back today is not because there's more of this world I want to experience, but I I do. I'll be really honest with you. There's, I, there's some stuff in this world that I, I, I really am looking forward to, right? I, I remember, I remember when, I, when I was a kid, my dad was a pastor, and he taught on the second coming of Jesus. And I was a junior high kid, so I was just a hormonal wreck. So, I, so when I heard Jesus say, or, or my dad say, that Jesus come back any time, that, that started a whole new prayer life for me. I, I used to pray this all the time. Jesus, please don't come back till I get married, because I heard some stuff, and that's sounds awesome so please don't come back until I get married all right and I prayed that prayer like every day every night every I mean I prayed it you know I did all right so so don't come back till I have you know all right in Jesus name amen all right and you know that (laughs) that's a good prayer by the way every junior high kid's going (laughs) all right maybe that's not your reason but, but sometimes, let's be honest, sometimes I, I get to a point where I don't want Jesus to come back or I, I, don't, I don't want to die today because there's so much in this life I want to experience. And I get that. That's not necessarily a bad thing. There's some stuff I love about this life. I, I love, I, I mean, I, I, really, like, I, love, I love these mountains over here. I love, I love honey. I love, here's where you want to go. Another, I, I have two grandbabies. Did I mention that? I got two more on the way. We're going in twos now. All right, so anyway, so, so I have, and when I look into the face of Jonah and Emery, I just, if I think about it too much, my knees are going to buckle. And, and, and here's the thing is, Jesus says that anything that you've experienced in this life, that you go, that's good, that's amazing, all right? He said, that is just a taste of what I have planned for you. And when I think about, no, 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 it doesn't get any better than these, this little boy and this little girl. It doesn't get any better than that. Jesus goes, it's not even compare. As a matter of fact, if I told you what I have in store for you, I just think you'd vaporize. Is that, is that good? So you're just going to have to trust me on that. This, the best part of your life, the thing you're looking forward to, is just a shadow it's just a shadow of, of, of what he has planned for us. Paul says it this way, because he, he was torn. Look, he says, I'm hard-pressed between the two. He says this, my desire, I'll be honest with you, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, right? And some of you are going, you know what, that, that's just true. You like her, she's pretty cool, he's, 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 he's all right. Hanging out with Jesus, better. Hope that doesn't hurt your feelings. You, Jesus, I'm going with Jesus, right, right? That's just true. Being with Jesus is better. But then here's, here's the, the conflict in this, verse 24. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary. Why? For you. Well, some of you feel that, right? There's some people in my life, that if I were to be taken out of here, I, I don't know who to take care of. I, I want to make sure they're okay. I want to, there's some things I need to say to them. I, so, you know, I'd like to be with Jesus, but there's some things I need to do. And Paul says the reason that he didn't want to go to heaven yet and the reason that Peter gives as to why Jesus hasn't come back yet is the same. There's a sense of urgency to tell some people in our life that we love about Jesus, about his love and forgiveness, about his grace and mercy, about how nobody has to go to hell, how sin and condemnation and shame can be removed and be replaced with the grace and mercy and power and strength of of Jesus. And that urgency is don't come back yet. I, got, I have this friend, right? So, so the two applications from the two takeaways is this. If Jesus is coming back and it could happen at any moment, let's just talk about us in this room. What is it in our life right now that we know is not in line with what Jesus says is true? That's between you and God. You don't have to pray about it or anything else. You know. This is what Jesus said is true. And my life is way over there. What is that for us? 
And here's the follow-up. And are we using grace as an excuse to keep on doing it? And if so, according to what Jesus has said about knowing who really is his and who's not, what needs to change in our life? Knowing that the same grace that can save us is the same grace that will give us the strength to do impossible changes in our life. What is it for you? What is it? I've got to get that in line with Jesus. Whether it comes back in five minutes or five years from now, this has to be in line with Jesus. And I'll give you a couple examples from my life. See, I have some big rocks in my life. I have some hills that I'll die on. As a matter of fact, I would rather die. We, we have kind of this standing joke. If you, like, like to my best friend Dan, I say, if you see me starting to screw up in this area of my life or this area of my life, and it's none of your business, but would you just shoot me in the back of the head? Because I don't want to mess up my life. I pray all the time, God, kill me before I mess up this church. I really do pray that prayer. I don't want to be responsible. So here's how I want to live. I have fixed my eyes. I have made my mind up. And I, anytime I talk about the hard parts of Scripture that I know are going to fall on people's lives hard and I'm going to get a lot of criticism for, here's, I, I remind us of all of this, all right? I have determined I am not going to stand in front of Jesus and have this conversation. I'm not going to look at Jesus and go, hey, I read your Bible and I heard what you had to say, but I didn't understand it, so I changed it. Or I ripped it out of the Bible or I ignored it, all right, because I didn't understand it. And so I took it and I changed it. And then I gave it to them because I thought it would be better for them. I thought my way would be better than what you said because I didn't really, really get it. I'm not going to have Jesus look back at me and go, okay, I, you, know, you know, I'm the creator of the universe, but, you know, you probably knew better. I'm not going to have that conversation. I'm not going to have Jesus look at me and go, all right, let me just tell you why I said that about that and about that and about that and about that. I'm not looking back at him and going, oh, no. I didn't understand, so I changed your word. And I think in changing your word, I actually made it worse for people. I was trying to love them well, but I actually compromised your word. And I think I made their lives worse. I'm not going to do it. Not. I'd rather die than do that. I, I, made, I made up my mind on this one, all right? I'm not going to stand in front of Jesus and say I cheated on Robin, and I blew up my marriage, and I quit on my family. I'm not. I'm not. I'll die before that happens. By the power of grace, I'm just not. See, there's some big rocks in my life, in our lives, that by the powerful enough to make impossible things possible, that kind of grace, and with the strength of God in my life, Jesus is not going to come back and find me giving up and letting go of the most important things in my life. His grace is enough for me and for you to hold us together, to keep us together, and to not give up. On my own, I don't have a chance. That's not modesty. I know me. Some of you are going, you're a good man. Uh... Uh, I, I, I'm not as bad as I used to be, you know, but if you knew what went on in here, you'd go, he should leave now, all right? I mean, because, I mean, I just know, I mean, you know, you look in the mirror and go, dude, if people knew what's going on in here, all right? We're all capable of blowing up our lives in five minutes. We're all capable of all kinds of failure and sin in our life, but by the grace of Jesus, I will, and you can, endure to the end. I know it. It's not I hope it. I know it. So my question is, what are the failures and sins that are present in our lives right now that need to be gone from our life or the possible sins and failures that are headed our way that need to be guarded against by the grace of Jesus? What needs to change now, today, this afternoon, this morning, so that when Jesus comes again, you'll be found faithful? What is that? That's between you and God, but you know what? You know. The second application would go like this. Who, and you've been thinking about this for the last 10 minutes. Who is it in your life right now that needs to hear the message of Jesus Christ like today? They need to find out that God doesn't hate them despite what their old church told, said about them, all right? Who is it in your life that needs to be invited to come and see who Jesus is and what he offers so they can make up their own mind about him? We can't change people, fix people, convert anybody, save anybody. That's not our job. Who, who do you, in your life, do you love and care enough that you're not willing to, to risk one more day as we tick toward the end of days? You're not willing to risk looking back going, oh, I wish I would have said something. Oh, I wish I would have invited them, but here's what I did. I said no for them because I assumed that they would say no, even though I have no idea what God might be doing in their life. I chose not to bring them into the presence of Jesus because I said no for them. And now I want to, but I can't. And here's what I mean by that. See, for some of us, 
The second coming of Jesus might be an event. We might be alive when Jesus splits the sky. That, that, we're going to talk about that next week. But, but, but for some of us, I say a lot of us, the second coming of Jesus in your life might happen in the next heartbeat. Because there's no guarantee of another heartbeat. You don't know if you have a million left or five. You don't know. That's not going to scare us. It, may, it may, may happen on the car ride home in the next breath. Paul says it. We're going to look at this next week. Paul says that it's going to be in the twinkling of an eye. So twinkle your eye. I don't know. How to, oh, that's fast. All right, right? But here's how I imagine it. Blinking, like you do a billion times a day. Blinking, but this time when you open your eyes, there's Jesus going, we need to talk. That, that's, that's how Paul describes it. And you know, he said, that scares me. The second coming of Jesus shouldn't be a threat, but a reminder that a day is coming. So don't give up and don't give in and don't hide and don't quit. We will see Jesus. He will come like a thief in the night. And the only reason given that it hasn't happened yet is God is patiently waiting for some of us and some of the people that we love to hear about his son Jesus and turn towards Jesus and be saved by grace through faith. So here's a prayer I pray a lot goes like this dear Jesus I look forward to you coming soon but please give me the strength to be faithful to my marriage to, 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 to my to, to your son help me to endure to the end and give me one more day one more week one more message to tell of your son Jesus that nobody perishes but all find eternal life in Jesus come back soon but give me another week because if you give me another week I'll do what needs to be done see a day is coming Jesus is like a thief in the night we have to wake up and not be caught off guard by this and live right now, today, this afternoon, for what is going to happen. Why is it going to happen? Because he promised it would. Be encouraged. Let's stand up. We're going we're to pray, and then we're going to sing a song, and then we're going to go to your Broncos, and there's a Chiefs fan down front, and I'm praying for you. Anyway, so, all right, so. But we're going to pray for something else first, though, okay? So about six weeks ago, we brought Joe up here, and, and so Joe has a brain aneurysm about two inches behind his right, his right eye, and we went in for testing, and they said we can't. We can't, you know, just do it, you know, with a scope and things like that. So tomorrow at 1 o'clock, put this on your little whatever that you do. That on, at 1 o'clock tomorrow, Joe's going to have brain surgery to go in there and take that, I'm thinking of words, that horrible thing out of his head. They're going to clip it, cauterize it, and then he's going to be in recovery for about a month uh, at least, all right? So we're going to, but here's the thing, and this is what Joe and I have been talking about. And tell me if you believe this. God's got this. Do you believe that? God, God can handle this? Do you believe that? He's got you, Joe. So we're going to pray for Joe, and we're, you know, we're, we're going to acknowledge some things, but we're going to ask God for some things, and then we're going to, talk, we're going to pray through what we just talked about for, for the last half hour, okay? So, 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 so pray with me. God, on behalf of, of your son, your child, and our brother Joe, we come before you, and without apology and with all the confidence, we ask you to just be God in his life. You're good no matter what. In all circumstances, in all situations, you are still good. And so everything, you know, that, that you decide to do or not do, that, it's good whether we understand it or not. But without apology, we're going we're, we're gonna to do what Jesus told us to do. We're going to come right into the throne room of, of God, and we're going to ask for grace and mercy in our time of need. Put your arms around Joe and Becky and their, and their kids. Hold them together. Give them peace that there's no other explanation. There's no understanding except it just comes from God. I'm going to be okay. God, we pray for doctors and medicines and all, all that things that, that you have given us so that we can have healthy bodies. But everything comes from you. So God, do what only you can do. I pray that, that, that tomorrow afternoon, tomorrow evening, that, that the doctors come out and say, it's weird, but it was no big deal. It's like God was there. And, and that's because we believe he will be there. So take care of Joe through his recovery, through, through his family, and bring him back up here so that when he stands up here and leads us in worship, we'll know it's from somebody who knows what he's talking about, that, that Christ is enough and Christ is sufficient. 
Which leads me to this, God. He said, you're sufficient for us too. There's some people in this room that we are without hope. We are afraid. We're facing circumstances that just seem overwhelming. And today, just to hear that you haven't given up on us, you haven't forgotten about us, but that you're in our lives and that you're there and you will hold us together. And sometimes we'll get out of bed and the only reason we'll be able to get out of bed is because we know you'll go through the day with us. If that's all it takes, then God, just remind us of that right now. God, here's the other thing. There's some people in my life that I love they don't know you, they don't care about you, and there's part of me that says they just never will, but that's not my call. I'm called to be faithful to you. And so, God, put somebody in, in our hearts today that, that says, you know, listen, I, this is between you and God, whether you believe in God or not, but just come and see. Just check this out for yourself and see if this is a better way. It's a better way for me. Just come and make up your own mind, but don't write this off too quick. God, I don't want to look back and say, it's too late. I have enough people in my life that I can look back and go, it's too late and I should have and I wish I would have. I, I, I don't have time for that anymore. So God, create, create within us a sense of urgency. Not panic, not fear. Urgency to share the love of Christ to the guy over there that doesn't have enough food, to the lady over there that doesn't have enough water, to the guy in prison that's forgotten about. Give us the strength and the courage to, to endure. That's our hope. In Jesus' name, amen.